This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here in, uh, well, the Warthog Command Center for a little while. I'm going to talk about some things with you with the sports world. And we are here, of course, in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country, inside the Mellon Law Studio. Big supporter of ours. We really appreciate it. Mellon Law with 50 years of experience. The only official law firm part of the Florida Gators. Mellon Law won't back down and protected by Prime Prevention and CPSS.net 24-7. And the mug shots are, of course, available to you over there to take a look at on awardscottfiles.com. Good morning, good morning, everybody, and um, we uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a little weather update for you at the bottom of the hour, but it's not very pleasant. It's been very hot and humid and all the above, so I think we'll have to tough it out for more another month at least, so we'll see how that goes. Um, it is really uh, a quite a, a quite a story that's going on in the sports world. Once again, it's not just strictly a sports story. It's, it's, it is also a uh, political story. And one of the things that has become rather disconcerting, if you will, to put it mildly, is how much sports have been affected by po- politics. I mean, I grew up watching Mickey Mantle and uh, Roger Maris and these guys. And before that, Roy Campanella and, of course, um, Pee Wee Reese and these people. I don't remember. Maybe I was too young, though. To, to remember any heavy politicalization of the sports. Uh, it just became uh, sports to us. I never associated anything with the political stand that Pee Wee Reese was doing or, or uh, you know, Roy Campanella or Smokey Burgess or uh, any of the guys, Ted Klazuski, people like this that come to mind right now. And um, it, it just is the modern world. And perhaps no better example of it right now is of this thing that's going on with a basketball player, Brittany Griner. Now, I want to do a little bit of update with you in case you have been tuning out the news, and I don't blame you for that. The um, same old, same old gets uh, to be rather same old, same old after a while. But in case you have been uh, away from the news for a while, of course, we have this situation of, um, of this um, person, Brittany Griner, who went to Russia, plays in Russia, makes a lot of money in Russia, but entered with a lot of drugs anyway by Russian standards, probably by American standards. It's practically nothing, which might have been part of her confusion, thinking that because she was who she was, um, American standards, oddly enough, which she has strenuously and publicly denounced, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, didn't apply to her as uh, she um, entered uh, Russia, which she has entered before. 
So let's just bring you up to date now on what's been going on. She has been pleading uh, or her people or whomever you want to associate with her cause um, have been pleading with uh, Biden to interfere and bring her home. Well, let's just uh, go back down memory lane here and have a little refresher course on uh, this Griner lady. Ken Schultz wrote way back in 2020 about the opening night of the women's uh, NBA. Oh, it was the Phoenix Mercury and the uh, Los Angeles Sparks. And they walked on, uh, walked off the court during the pregame warmups before the playing of the national anthem as a protest against police brutality. Um, shortly thereafter, they observed a 26-second moment of silence to call attention to the killing of Breonna Taylor. Now, let's have a refresher course on who Breonna Taylor was. She was, quote-unquote, the wonderful lady who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it wasn't by accident, it was by her choice. And this is a pretty common story that the bad men whom often women are attracted to. Let's make this point clear. A friend of mine asked his son one time, how come he wasn't able to attract the uh, good looking women that the thugs could. And he said, because I don't have enough tattoos. So the women are culpable in this. Don't write them off as innocent. So quote unquote, uh, Brianna Taylor, who had a job, supposedly, and was an upstanding citizen, so to speak, supposedly, and purported to be, and might well have been, nevertheless, has got a boyfriend who is a drug dealer. And let me tell you that because I'm on the board of Crime Stoppers, I hear this story repeatedly. Actually, by being in this room, Brianna Taylor with this drug merchant, she is also guilty of anything the drug merchant is doing because she knows about it and she doesn't squeal on him. So that makes her an accomplice to the crime. Now, one of the things that you have to understand, which is difficult for me to understand, is that why don't we charge these women uh, with the same crime that we charge their boyfriends with because they are actually uh, complicit in the crime. And the answer you get, oddly enough, is that if they're not directly involved in peddling the drugs, we don't want to make yet another criminal with another record who has to go through the already jammed up, clogged up um, courtrooms. And I got a story about that in a little bit. And so we don't bother to include the woman. Breonna Taylor falls directly into this situation. So she's put herself or perhaps been forced to put herself because we don't know the mysterious dynamics of male-field male relations when a thug has a quote-unquote nice girlfriend, quote-unquote. Something is amiss here, but it's human nature. So the gendarmes charge in with all the warrants and everything to accost the bad guy and in the shootout that ensues, she gets caught in a crossfire. So never mind 
the details of the case that I just gave you. And never mind the fact that this is repeated and repeated and repeated. I'll assure you, we hear it at Crime Stoppers at least, I won't go as far as to say every time we meet once a month, but at least once every three months we hear this story. And some of them are quite dangerous. And, uh, you know, this is where Breonna Taylor found herself. So this team led by Brittany Griner, the Mercury Center at the time walked off the court. And during a teleconference with the media, she said, uh, I honestly feel we should not play the national anthem during our season. I think we should take that much of a stand. Okay, are you? This is fact. Okay, this is the woman that wants to come home now and wants the United States of America to bring her home. So, Griner says she's going to protest regardless of what the WNBA does. This is in 2020. I'm not going to be out there for the national anthem. If the league continues to want to play it, that's fine. It will be all season long. I'll not be out there. I feel more like more are going to probably do the same thing. I can only speak for myself. She made it clear that the Star Spangled Banner is a symbol for a nation uh, that is full of racism. That's her position. Okay. Um, and uh, the... The stance she took was very, very public. Now, you know, I don't know how many things are different uh, that I run out of fingers and toes uh, that um, if if Trump were president and, and Biden is president. But we do have a quote from Trump on this. Uh, Trump uh, spoke on Saturday on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. Uh, he said that Brittany Griner was spoiled and that the prisoner swap for her, for the Russian arms dealer, whom everyone has dubbed the merchant of death, was a bad idea. Okay? And, you know, you can say what you want to about Trump, but he doesn't mince words. So he spoke this on the Saturday show. He said, it doesn't seem like a very good trade now, does it? He continued, Trump continued to say that this man that Biden is supposedly willing to trade for Griner is one of the worst in the world. He is a uh, uh, heavy, I looked him up, I'm going to do a little story on him here, uh, that he is uh, uh, responsible for all sorts of bad behavior in the world. Serious, heavy duty, uh, professional guy for this, okay? And I got to tell you that, uh, um, pardon me if you hear this outside, I don't think you can. Um, the people have come here to trim the shrubs around the, the, the uh, command center here. So uh, I'm not sure you hear that, but we'll get by that. Um, now, who is this that they're wanting to trade for? It is uh, Victor Bout, okay? Victor Bout. He is a man the Biden administration is eyeing as a bargaining chip uh, to get the release of two prisoners, one of whom is Griner, 
another of whom is a, a person we'll get to in a moment who has been uh, detained for quite some time, but hasn't been protesting the country now that the detainee wants to save her. Now, this merchant of death even had a movie made by Nicolas Cage called Lord of War. He was arrested in 2008 uh, in Thailand uh, for uh, being a huge arms dealer, and he is proficient in six languages. He has been transporting illicit arms into war-torn parts of Africa in violations of the United Nations. He's been transporting arms to our enemies. He is a hired gun. He is a Russian arms dealer. And he is uh, somebody that Biden is willing to let out in order to get the release, evidently, of a woman who can't stand the national anthem. Now, he uh, once he was arrested, he was extradited to the United States despite heavy protests from the Russian government, he stood trial and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison in 2012 for charges of conspiring to kill Americans, distributing anti-aircraft missiles, and aiding designated terrorist organizations. He even went to appeal. The appeals court held it up. And this is a seriously bad dude. So here we are. Trump calls it a lousy deal. And, you know, he's the author of The Deal. Uh, Ryan King reported this, uh, uh, as well as many other people have reported it. You have got something going on that's way beyond Roy Campanella and Pee Wee Reese and those type of people. You have got international kinds of, I don't know, behavior that just seems to defy common sense. So it's a... doesn't seem to Donald Trump to be a very good trade. And obviously, the message this sends just already at this stage is really kind of interesting. Is it not that you can absolutely run down the country? But boy, when you're in another country, you want this country to come and help you. I, you know, being the kind of guy I am, I would say, uh, Brittany Griner, if we do somehow do something stupid like this and get you out in exchange for this bad guy, that ain't, it ain't all over for you. You're going to have to stand up for every national anthem. You're going to have to go before little kids in civic duty and instruct everybody on how great a country it is for having to come. There's going to be strings attached personally that you're going to have to stand up and be accountable for. Now, I will assure you that won't be in the deal. That, that, that won't be in the deal, but that should be in the deal. If we get you out, you're on probation here. You've got to go out and be an ambassador for this country because we got you out. I don't know that that will ever happen. I would probably flip, do a backflip if I thought that ever happened. It's just not in the woke vocabulary. And that's what we're dealing with, a woke world here. In Coach Hogg's locker room, of course, Bill Russell uh, um, hit the end of the road there. You know, the thing I remember about Bill Russell is when he came along, there really hadn't been anybody other than George Mikey, who was, wore glasses, I remember, 
who played for, I think that was a Minnesota team. And I was a 6'10 guy, pretty big guy. There were not a lot of big guys in basketball then. University of Dayton had Bill Huell. He was seven feet. Um, uh, that was a, a, a interesting team, but they wasn't much around of big guys. Big guys were six six. I think Jerry Lucas was only six eight. So um, we will have to uh, now get into the world of the big man. And truly, uh, Russell was the first guy to kind of be so categorized and also was a very effective. But the school he played at. Nobody had really ever heard much of San Francisco. So Bill Russell had a couple of firsts. A, he was a big guy who did well, who got known. And uh, then he played for a school and put them on the map. You haven't heard any more about San Francisco since. So he was, of course, uh, one of the fellows who uh, really was on the cutting edge. Along comes, of course, uh, uh, Chamberlain, whom I met one day, Met at the same time I met. They were in the same place in Montreal, in the same bar, right next to each other, Andre the Giant and Wilt Chamberlain. I never met Bill Russell. Um, the other thing to watch about in sports locally is the uh, first uh, venture into the pro world uh, of Ben Shelton, uh, who is uh, a kid here whose dad is the coach over at the University of Florida men's tennis team, was a very good tennis player himself. And this young guy has done well, played John Isner to three sets and lost in a tiebreaker. Um, The question now for our local star, he's only a sophomore on the University of Florida tennis team. He's already won the singles national championship, is why continue in college? Uh, John McEnroe dropped out of Sanford, never played much. I would say the thing to do with the Shelton player is to say goodbye to the university and get out and start grinding it out on the pro tour. He's young. He's only 19, but there are other 19 year olds out there. Now that leaves a question for his father, who is the coach of the men's tennis team. Will he stay with the men's tennis team or will he go out on a pro tour with his son? I advise that the father stay with the men's tennis team. And I advise that the, Son gets a coach out of the USTA or some other system to accompany him. But I just want to let you know that we've got a kid here. Uh, you could have seen him over here at uh, Linder Stadium. Uh, you could have seen him playing there on court number one. Uh, left-hander, 6'3". But next to John Isner, I have to say, uh, he looked like he was five feet tall. John Isner, of course, is 6'10". And there's one other tall fellow. Uh, who's seven feet in the tennis world, who's also very, very good. And they serve quite regularly at 135, 140 miles an hour. So for a long time, the young Shelton player couldn't get a handle on that serve, and he's not the first one who could not. So that's Coach Hogg's locker room for a moment. I hope you understand that uh, I'm not a big fan of the Griner situation. It's not something that um, I think is a fair deal. And I think that um, if she is does come back, then she needs to be um, held responsible and, behave, and set an example, a positive example for other people rather than the negative example she's been facing, she's been uh, setting. Um, 
Locally, we've got a lot of things that have happened locally here. Uh, for one thing, um, the investigator instigator made the front page on Sunday above the fold of the Gainesville Sun. And I have to tell you that that has taken a long time, has it not? We first began bringing you this disclosure about these people voting beep uh, here in this county with the strong evidence. We had to fight our way through the state attorney. We had to get it over to the uh, FDLE. The FDLE took their time with it. Uh, then it gradually began to get out in the public. And of course, the initial response was, oh, it's just not enough to make a statistical difference. No one knows how many there are. We know there are hundreds and hundreds more. But um, a particular cover for the ineptness of the voting regulations is that, oh, well, this is not a statistical difference. They don't know that. They haven't even been able to find what our investigator found. And they are paid to find these things. So at long last, we do get uh, a letter. You know, Brian Kramer has tried to duck out of this, in my humble opinion, from the very day we brought it to him. He has tried to duck out of it. You know, I've got too much to work to do on real crime. Uh, I don't have enough help. Uh, and the whole list of complaints, oh, da, 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 the endless list of oh, this and that and one thing and another. Um, but we, we really don't uh, buy any of that because um, we found it. Why can't you find it? And it is a crime. And why don't you investigate it? And I want to show you, uh, I think we're ready to queue it up if um, uh, production gives me the high sign. I want to queue up the story as it ran on WESH-TV um, and see if we get that over to you. Okay, we're going to run this show for you as WESH-TV and uh, take a look at it. And um, this is really beginning to get out into the big time public. to Investigates has new information tonight on the case of an alleged illegal voting in the 2020 elections by registered sex offenders. The man who fought to restore felon voting rights is critical of recent arrest. And as West Chief News Investigates and political reporter Greg Fox explains, the state admits it does not have adequate resources to determine if some are not eligible to vote. And I believe that the burden really falls on the state. Desmond Mead is the head of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition that worked to pass Amendment 4 in 2018, giving felons that have served their sentences and paid their court fees and fines the right to vote. As you can see, Amendment 4 does not apply to those convicted of murder or sexual offenses. But Christopher Moy, a registered sex offender, was arrested and charged last week for twice voting illegally in 2020. Along with Moy, James Tollison, Louis Rosario, and Solomon Webb were also charged in Seminole County. But in Lake County, in the investigation of six sex offenders voting in elections, the prosecutor declined to prosecute, writing, Each appear to have been encouraged to vote by various mailings and misinformation. Each were given voter registration cards. Meade tells me without a central database to verify voter eligibility, the state should not be making arrests. And because of all of that ambiguity, I think that we should be even more cautious in acting when we're doing something that could take someone's liberty away from them. 
Asleep at the wheel is how I would describe that. We're concealing Mark Glazer's face at his request over concerns about his safety. He's a data researcher who provided Seminole, Lake, and other election supervisors the sex offender registry records and voting records. He says he alerted the office of former Secretary of State Laura Lee numerous times, records we've requested. He believes that office is not doing the work to identify ineligible voters and providing that to the supervisors. I feel very strongly that they were uh, uh, derelict in their duty, um, certainly overlooked this knowingly and have taken way too long to figure this out. A spokesman told us this is exactly the purpose and need for the new Office of Elections, Crimes and Security. We have always worked hard to review those lists, but before now, simply have not had adequate resources or personnel to meet the demand. That statement, despite what new Secretary of State Cord Byrd told me July 15th is that the Department of State was already doing this. So we're looking at people who are who are ineligible to vote, felons that vote, um, sexual offenders who vote. So far, neither State Attorney Phil Archer's office nor Seminole County Elections Supervisor Chris Anderson are commenting on the investigation of alleged illegal voting by these men. Greg Fox, Washington News. Made WSTH TV in the Central Florida area, and you can see that um, these prosecuting attorneys, these supervisor elections, uh, probably never would have. Well, I'm sure, but never stumbled across any of this voter beep. But you know, here we got a really fine investigator who's featured here in this uh, show by WSH TV. And we've been pushing this story now for a long, long time. It has made Breitbart. It has made some of the national publications, ProPublica, uh, some other publications. And we're going to keep the hammer down because it's just starting. And I want to thank those donors who have been donating to the Ward Scott Files because we have often had to have a, a make a, a, a request and then hey, have been, has been a, a, a fee associated with getting that information. Uh, this is uh, something we don't have a staff. There's just a couple of us uh, doing this. And we uh, feel like uh, in many ways, these people with these big staffs and these big budgets, they should be doing this. We shouldn't have to be doing this. So uh, just this a week, uh, a letter went back over to Kramer. Now, Kramer initially told, uh, just to give you the background on this, Kramer told Barton, uh, I'm not going to investigate this unless you can show me uh, reasons why I should. And she fired back uh, a document that um, I think we'll probably put out on uh, Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, a listing of all the sex offenders. Remember, sex offenders are never exonerated. They're forever lo lose their rights. And she put a, a list here with great detail of them, uh, who they are. Um, and um, has uh, sworn to it before a notary, absolutely is deadly serious about Kramer taking this up and prosecuting it. Of course, as we say, it's our opinion, just my opinion, our opinion, Kramer has done so reluctantly, dragging his feet, if you will, uh, you know, to try to 
claim, oh, I've got more important crime to take a look at, about which very little seems to be getting done. Uh, we read, and you do too, and about one shooting after another, uh, and it could happen more and more invasively in any what you would think of a secure part of town, which really is not so secure anymore. Uh, we'll take a break here on the Ward Scott Files. When I come back, I will bring you up to date after the weather on my trip to Judge Kolaw's courtroom to watch the latest on the Drotos Riles versus Boss Hart argument. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, thank you very much for um, production for steering us, steering us through our sponsors and donations and all that to have time. Thanks to Lewis Oil for sponsoring the weather. The weather is unrelenting. It's um, going to be 95 degrees here where we are, but it's going to feel like 106 degrees. And that's not the most comfortable thing in the world. I can tell you that right now. So once again, if you want to get out and do something, do it early. And early by now, it's 930 here. We are Eastern Daylight Time. So it feels really, really hot. 
even feels really, really hot in the shade. In the shade, according to our weather systems here, it'll feel like 91. So there really is no such thing as shade. Now, throughout the country, uh, the death toll continues to rise in Kentucky flooding. Uh, there are 30 dead, according to the statistics I have here, which is just a horrendous event. Uh, rising water, I think I've related to you, is probably the most frightening of all natural disasters. I think we were asked that question one time in a game I gave you, what is the most frightening natural disaster? Fire, or earthquake, or tornado, hurricane, or rising water. It's probably, when you sit down and really think about it, rising water. Uh, flood disasters are real disasters. They wipe out towns, they wipe out homes, uh, they wipe out businesses, uh, they wipe out bridges, they wipe out roads. It's really quite remarkable. Now there's severe storms still on tap for the Midwest this week. And um, it's not going to be any much, much relief for that. The temperatures are going to soar, for example, in Minneapolis, all the way to New York City. And one of the curious things about Minneapolis, of course, is that it'll be cold as can be in the wintertime, down below zero, and yet in the summertime, it will get as warm as you can imagine. So it's uh, as hot as anywhere. So uh, right now I have the leaf blower right outside the window. Production so says you can't hear it, but I can hear it. So I'll have to uh, continue in just a second when they move on. Um, Las Vegas this month has recorded uh, more rain in fewer than two hours than it recorded uh, typically in a whole month. So it is really quite remarkable, the extremes that are going on with weather. It is something that uh, no one, of course, can control. But there's been violent weather before. It's just that there's more people now living in the path of violent weather. Uh, that's the thing you always have to remember is that uh, we, uh, we uh, have built places really we shouldn't probably be building, uh, particularly in California and places like that where it's just not very wise to, to, to put down roots because you're in uh, harm's way. Here in Florida, one of the things which is very difficult to predict, of course, are sinkholes. Sinkholes can really gobble up houses and have done so in our area all of a sudden unpredictably. I want to get to the story about the ongoing saga, if you will. Uh, yours truly, as you know, was away uh, Thursday. Uh, your investigator and yours truly went to uh, the third floor, 3C, of the criminal courthouse in Judge Kola's uh, courtroom to hear the latest uh, arguments between the state and the Grotos Riles group, not Bossard. And the curious thing that you began to realize as you watch this is that the state is really, was really acting in this situation. Now, everything I'm about to say now is my opinion, but it's based upon what I saw. The state really ends up acting as if it were an attorney for Bossard. The only thing is Bossard's not paying for the state attorney attorneys, you the taxpayer are. And what this was about, it was a request by Grotos on three motions. The first motion was to strike 
uh, Bossart as victims. Apparently, this was a result of some sort of public argument that took place between a couple of pe people involved with Bossart that Bossart immediately seized on and went to the court and tried to say, see, 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 we're the victims. And uh, the, the first motion, uh, um, uh, basically, Kolal says, I'm going to touch. The second motion was more interesting. There was a lot of foot dragging going on here. All this time since this situation started, the seized property of the individuals not involved with the warrant, not in the target of Bossart, who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, has never been returned. They had to go to Kolaw's court Thursday and ask for that property to be returned, formally returned. And the gobbledygook that came out of the mouth of the Omar guy, I can't say his last name. I apologize, I apologize, I apologize. People have told me he's just been around there forever and a day and it's his marking time until he can retire. He took the position that in front of the judge, uh, we can't really return his property because it's still part of a criminal investigation. I have learned that the phrase criminal investigation is a catch-all umbrella for you can't get it because I say you can't have it. And the reason you can't have it is because I say it's part of an investigation when how do I know if you proceeded with the investigation, if it really is a part of the investigation, how do I challenge that? How do on the prima facie, how do I, how do you claim that my stuff, whom I'm not even involved in the theft so-called of trade secrets, how do I know uh, why are you keeping my stuff? And so the judge finally had enough of the foot dragging by the state attorney's office that didn't want to give the stuff back. They kept wanting to say, well, it's still part of a criminal investigation. But uh, the Drotos attorney said, well, listen, how long is a reasonable period of time? This has been going on forever. And finally, the judge said, you return that seized property by five o'clock tomorrow. Now, five o'clock tomorrow would have been five o'clock last Friday afternoon. I have not checked to see if it was returned. Part of that is going to depend on what GPD wants to keep claiming is still part of a criminal investigation. Now, you, this is the way that the funny thing about it, I mean, I say funny, before this met the docket, there was a gentleman, black gentleman, on Zoom from the Alachua County Jail. I watched him. He's a, obviously a professional drug dealer. He was caught with scales and cocaine and, and all the, I mean, it was a, really a supermarket of drugs. And he knew the dadgum system better than anybody in the room. He wanted to fire his attorney. You know, he, this, he wanted to know where the lab test went. What did you send? He was a jailhouse lawyer. And the, furthermore, he had cajoled or somehow, some way, gotten a sweetheart deal out of the state attorney that gave him a foreshortening of a sentence. The judge even said, I can't believe the deal you got from the state attorney's office of three years in adjudication with hell 
I would have given you 15 years. Somehow this dude knew how to work the state attorney's office. And I guarantee you that this fella, bless his heart, is going to not be deterred by a couple of more years in the jug. One time he was asked if he could read and write. And he said, I know the English language very well. And I think he does. I mean, he, he was nobody's fool. So that guy gets a sweetheart deal. And then we move on to the Drotos request for the property return. And <laughs> the state attorney's office said, well, we don't want to give it back to you because we might still be using it. Well, how come you get to deliberate and equivocate and all that crap for two years about it? Give it back. So the judge says, give it back. Now, part of that, I've since learned, is going to depend on what GPD wants to give back. And then you may have to go back to court again if what they gave back is not what you wanted back. Now, there's a reason for this. We know there's a reason for this. Because GPD acted as a private, well, alleged private investigative force for Bossart who paid GPD for the investigation, as if GPD were a private eye. So the GPD functioned uh, as a, a public investigative world paid for the taxpayer, functioned as a private eye paid for by Balsar. Oh, boy. Now, the third motion, you talk about, you, you, <laughs> you talk about gobbledygook. The third motion, now, by the way, you know, the judge said return that seized property. Um, um, now, five. Now, third motion was the statement of particulars. In other words, to this day, Drotos doesn't know the particulars of what Bossart and the state attorney's office, who are asked, who, the state attorney's office is acting as Bossart's private agency, you understand, as far as I'm concerned, that's my opinion. Um, we don't know what you are calling, what you're defining as trade secrets, the whole mysterious term trade secrets. We know there aren't any. We know there aren't any. But GPD has got, well, I lost fingers and toes. I thought I heard 1,700 pages of files that they claim they have to go through to figure out what a trade secret is. Now, I, I didn't, didn't listen to me. And then the judge says, what? And he asked Drotos' attorney, what about this? And Drotos' attorney says, well, we've got the files, but the files don't have inside them. They have a lot of things in them, but they don't have inside them what is considered a trade secret. So we don't know what we're being charged with. We have no idea what we're being charged with. And another thing the state was marble mouthed about is they didn't want to get to the issue of the contract. Contract, a contract. Well, everybody knew what the contract was. It's a school board contract. And they finally pried out of Omar's cold, dead hands and, 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 and uh, uh, Barney Fife, Becker, they finally pulled out of their gold, cold, dead hands that somehow, some way, lumped in these files was the school board contract. I mean, it was, if you ever gone to the dentist and the old proverbial worse than pulling teeth, this was much worse than pulling teeth. This was agonizing. 
to try to drag out of the state attorney's office what they were talking about because they didn't know what they were talking about and they didn't want to have to be asked to be told or whatever to, to, to name what they were talking about. So finally, the judge seems to have caught on. Now, you got to remember, the judge is always wary of being appealed. And we know or have been told that Boss Hart has already hired appellate attorneys. So what they're planning on doing is no matter what is the case, what is the findings, they're going to appeal, appeal, appeal. And what that does, of course, as one person inside this system told me confidentially, I'm talking about inside this judicial system, because there are people inside it watching it, just shaking their heads. Okay, I can tell you that much. Um, you know, meanwhile, it's costing, and this is the language that I was presented with, the children's, the children's education fund, uh, the adults' retirement fund. It's costing. Get this now. By dragging the by the state dragging its feet and being paid for by the public, it's costing Gotros Riles et al their retirement funds, their children's education fund, because justice delayed is justice denied. So their whole tactic is just to keep mumbling and stumbling and avoiding and not doing any direct answering. And it was shameful, in my, as far as I'm concerned, it's my opinion, it was shameful to watch that state attorney's office. Brian Kramer should have been there himself. I've already been told that by courtroom observers. I've already been informed by people inside that system that Brian Kramer himself should have been standing at that podium in front of Judge Kolal, not Barney Fife and Omar almost retired, who was just mumbling and stumbling. Okay? Now you can put this in your daybook. I'm not backing down from that. Because others have told me inside the system that Kramer himself should have been there. Now, Kramer wants to come on this show. And one of the things I'm going to ask him is why weren't you there? Why weren't you, Brian Kramer, in that courtroom when it came down to a request, a motion for a statement of particulars? And when it came down to a motion for return of seized property, why aren't you there? You're the guy. And we know that Brian Kramer is going to support Ken Cornell in Ken Cornell's race for county commission. And we know that Ken Cornell is the chief financial officer, Boss Hart. Those are facts. Okay. And I'll raise my hand and, 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 uh, and attest to that. It was said in front of a witness. OK, well, so we have the civil rights case filed by Childers, which is going to the federal court. We have the criminal case, which is the theft of so-called trade secrets, which no one can define. And therefore, one can't defend oneself against after all these months. And we have a civil case brought by Grotos and Riles for all these defamations and damages that have been done to the reputation. So I'll keep you up on it. I go to it when I can and I attend it um, 
I personally want to get an opportunity to, and I certainly was there in person on uh, 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 Thursday. So it is, um, it is what it is. That's all I know to tell you. That's, that's, the, that's the way the uh, thing is proceeding. So let me check my chats here and see if there's anything coming in if you want to ask me a question about it. Um, my voice is reverberating, Ray Stern. I don't know what the deal is here. Um, we had a the production says it must be um, there where you are. Well, I want to show you something that is uh, the home plate collision. That's what I call the show today. If production will um, run that home plate collision. Um, the funny thing about this, I didn't realize that they played a really heavy-duty baseball game. When I watch this throw from center field, I've got to say that they do. They do uh, <laughs> play a real baseball game. Let's let's run that, please, production. We're supposed to interview Cat on Wednesday, first half hour. I, I you know, <laughs> I just, I, that is more value politically. If I were her manager, I would play that again and again and again, because that is a woman running over a man who's blocking the plate. That's a heck of a throw, by the way, out of center field. And she rounds that corner and doesn't back down. There are so many things you can say about that, that, uh, are fun and yet are metaphorical and apply the whole thing going on. <laughs> oh my golly, was it funny? And <laughs> uh, you know, that's a pretty good collision. That is the most exciting play in baseball to me, and that is uh, the collision of home plate. It's um, <laughs> it's a it's a famous. I suppose the most famous one is uh, the collision at. Uh, 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 by Pete Rose at home plate. And <laughs> so uh, that, that is a, a woman on a man, get out of my way, here I come. So, so uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's uh, there to be interpreted as one would like to interpret it. But I didn't realize that that baseball game was that serious, that they were chunking that ball around with that expertise and running those bases like that. So uh, now that's one to call that the home plate collision. Because it is the most exciting play in, in my home, 
in my my uh, my world anyway of uh, of uh, what we got going on in, in that sport. It's uh it's pretty interesting. By the way, one of the things we're going to talk about is a pretty serious thing. Uh, there's a lot of things that go on in DC if you're watching on Wednesdays uh, with uh, Ted Yoho and you watched our interview last Wednesday with the uh, ambassador to the Holy See. Um, then you heard us talk about the frustration people feel and trying to get things done in, in, um, in Washington. It, it, it's, it, it's amazing. And then a the thing I got to report on today that is really, I don't understand the Republicans. I don't know why they, they get taken. Um, you know, I'm, the more and more I've been in this business, uh, the less I've been a member of either party. Uh, I'm just an observer. I'm a teacher. Um, you know, I put this stuff out there. You can comment as you want. It's your world. You vote the way you want. That's how the grades end up. I don't grade you. You take it and grade yourself. And if you make a bad decision, vote for the wrong person. Uh, that's your deal. You know, I, I'm just really more and more disappointed in a professional politician at every level, locally, um, guys who stay in office too long, who don't get anything done, um, you know, uh, want to talk out of both sides of their mouth. And, you know, when it's uh, when it's uh, warm, it's there for warm. And when it's cold, they're for cold. But this Schumer Mansion pack is really, from what I can understand, and I'm just beginning to study it, is um, going to be new taxes and price controls, and it's going to be green corporate welfare. This Schumer Mansion pack is green corporate welfare. Now, I'm not a believer in electric anything, particularly cars, semi-trucks, tractors, I'm, I'm not into that. I don't. I'm not a believer. Listen, you opted into the fossil fuel society about 1840. All right. If you want to read uh, William Wordsworth, uh, the world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away a sordid boon. A sordid boon is a filthy pleasure. This was written about 1820, if I remember by Williams Wordsworth, he is talking about the paradox of the industrial society, which they saw coming in the early 1800s, which the South was against and was absolutely stormed off the stage because they were and ushered in the fossil fuel society and retraded the living, breathing, dying horse for horsepower, which is the fossil fuel engine in the form of a tractor, um, uh, taking the place of the mule, if you will, and therefore relieving the need for human labor and therefore creating eventually what becomes all these government subsidies and all these uh, 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 cities and food being produced uh, fewer than 2% for the other 98%. Um, but now we've got this strong army uh, to push us over to battery this and green that without any idea uh, what it's going to do to really the quality of life. What it's going to do, I'm submitting to you, is you will see the American standard of living has peaked. It is going to decline from here on out. Uh, this generation of kids, 20s or so, are never going to have 
the opportunity to have what the older generation had. It's just not going to be possible. Uh, it's going to be smaller and smaller living areas, uh, maybe even no kitchens. I heard a discussion the other day that in these new condos or apartments or whatever you want to call them, there won't even be kitchens. There'll be uh, perhaps uh, microwaves and things of that nature. Uh, but these people don't cook. They, uh, they, 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 they just don't. Um, the cooking requires a long time. It's a real art. And, and they're not going to be cooking with things they grew in their own yard because they won't have a yard. So we now have got a new tax in this Schumer Mansion Pact that is going to increase the cost of business investment. And yet it's going to give uh, anything that's uh, involved with the coal industry or the fossil fuel industry is going to be taxed. And yet there are going to be green energy tax credits for those companies that want to begin going, quote unquote, green. This is the way in which this thing works. And we'll get into why Manchin supported it in a moment. Uh, so businesses are going to have the incentive to sink money into green ventures. And that's going to be the way they're going to use their corporate capital. There'll be $369 billion in climate spending. And most of it will be in the form of corporate welfare to those corporations which are going to spend it, quote unquote, addressing climate change. And the taxpayers will be subsidizing these mandates to make these automakers turn out these electric cars. Um, the, uh, all of this is bill will steer private investment into green energy at the cost of reduced investment in fossil fuels. That's the way Biden's going to choke it down. Um, it's also going to be a raid on drug companies. They're going to set price limits on what can be charged for drugs, but we know what drugs will, manufacturers will do. They will hedge potential future losses uh, by launching new drugs at higher prices. They always do that. So that's, a, that's a, a, not a particular game changer. Um, they're going to use a lot of this so-called savings to extend the Affordable Care Act. Uh, that's the Obama Care. Um, 80, also, this is onerous, there'll be a hundred, there'll be $80 million boost for IRS. And this $80 billion boost is going to finance more audits. Now, the very wealthy can afford these audits. Who am I going to attack is the middle class. The middle class is not going to have the wealth or the means to challenge, if it should come, an IRS audit. So this is the way the progressives are taking over with their agenda. And Manchin, I'm going to get into why and how he fell for it, but it is really disastrous. The opinion right now is uh, the GOP got played again. Tomorrow we're going to be having an interview with uh, one of our Gainesville City Commission candidates, Gary Gordon. Have a great day. Waterhog Command Center out.